Hi everyone, Sam Stern, welcoming you to the CX Patterns Podcast. I am a member of LinkedIn's customer experience team and I've spent the last 20 years working in customer experience. One of my favorite sayings comes from the Navy SEALs, slow is smooth, smooth is fast. I love a good paradox. And on first impression, this quote is exactly that. But as you think about it more, the feeling of paradox fades and the deep-lying truth of the statement takes on greater prominence. Doing things in a methodical, planful way allows you to be more consistent and more focused as you complete your work. And when you proceed in a consistent and disciplined manner, you get more done in less time. For me, it's a beautiful meditation on the importance of planning and preparation leading to the confidence to act and execute as you do your work. And that's why I wanted to share today's pattern with you, adopting and using Agile for customer experience. Agile has planning, preparation, and a methodical, measured approach at its heart. It feels slow sometimes, but in the form of sprints, progress is made regularly with incremental improvements showing meaningful progress throughout the project. And then, because of the rituals built into Agile, teams can adjust their approach, adjust their priorities in mid-flight of the project from one sprint to the next. This agility at the heart of Agile, sorry, helps customer experience teams be more attuned to what the customer and the business need. That is vital for customer experience to succeed in delivering value to both of those groups. And so, I talked with my former colleague, Lara Nowak, about adopting Agile for customer experience. Lara shares her experience adopting Agile with us and adjustments she had to make to make it work better for customer experience and also how she thinks about coaching others to adopt Agile. Listeners, I want to be appropriately humble here. I know very little about Agile because I'm still firmly in the learning phase of adopting it for customer experience. Lara is only months ahead of me on her journey, so you will hear a conversation between a novice, me, and a newly minted intermediate practitioner of Agile, Lara. That's who's talking today. We are far from experts, but I think our recent experience of starting to apply Agile to experience design work will be relevant for anyone at a similar stage of the adoption curve. All right, let's talk to Lara. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the CX Patterns podcast. And this week, I'm really excited to be joined by my former LinkedIn customer experience design colleague in Chicago, Lara Nowak. Lara, how are you? Good, Sam. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's great to see you again. Listeners, we are talking to each other on Zoom, but sharing just the audio with you. Lara, you were someone who was coaching me and some of my colleagues on our team at LinkedIn on adopting Agile and how to integrate it into how we did our customer experience design project work. And it struck me that this would be a really good topic, good pattern to bring to the listeners because working in this way was much more efficient. Working in this way was aligned with some of our colleagues in other parts of the business that work this way. And you were a great teacher. So you were the person I wanted to have on to, to share the lessons you've learned and the lessons you were teaching to us about the Agile approach. So I think I'll start with this question. What is the value of using the Agile methodology in customer experience? So I know you touched on this a little bit already, but 
just the fact that Agile has allowed our team to make really quick, meaningful progress as a cross-functional group. When Agile's at its best and it's working properly, it enables faster alignment with our internal stakeholders. For this reason, our customers on the other end are able to see the impact of our work sooner. For our internal stakeholders, one key component of Agile is having frequent touch points. Whether it's several times weekly, (laughs) whatever cadence you decide on as a cross-functional team. This approach, it avoids surprises among your cross-functional group by bringing your partners along in the journey. So your research and design efforts leads you to make faster progress as a team and see the fruits of your efforts much quicker. Yeah, that's great. So you're checking in regularly. These would be stand-ups. Is that right? Is that, am I using the, the term correctly there? Yes, that is the Agile term. Yes, having your stand-ups or your scrum for customers without Agile And without, you know, being able to make this quick, meaningful progress, they can be left waiting, whether it's months to years before seeing those changes, seeing that progress. So meanwhile, their needs and their expectations for a good customer experience in whatever space can change. So when working in Agile, you're allowing yourself as a cross-functional team to truly move with and adapt to your customers' changing needs. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. So you're aligning with your colleagues who work this way. Yeah. You're showing impact much more quickly. You can probably change direction if you need to much more quickly because you're checking in all the time. And meanwhile, you're working at the speed of the expectations of your customers, getting out new improvements to the experience to them faster and adapting to their changing needs and expectations more quickly because you're not squirreled away for months or years, even as you said, working on a project that by the time you deliver it probably isn't that relevant anymore. Absolutely. And the last thing I'll add here, Agile brings a sense of fun and lightheartedness to the project work, (laughs) driving a sense of just cohesiveness among the partner teams that can feel really fresh and fun. I think one thing that is important to reiterate, it's just having a sense of community as you move through the project work. And by having these frequent meetings, there's Mm. just a natural sense of kind of camaraderie and cohesiveness that develops among your partner teams when Angel's working at its best. Yeah, that's great. I I like that. We, neither you nor I are experts in Agile, but we have recently been working to adopt it. So that's where I think we have really nice lessons to impart here. And I'd love for you to talk a little bit about, you know, looking back on your experience of adopting and starting to work in an Agile way in customer experience, what was most important to getting right to make sure that it was useful for customer experience work? Yeah, absolutely. So Sam, as you mentioned, it's been a lot of fun working with our team to use an evolved version of Agile. Neither of us are experts, but we've learned a lot of great lessons along the way. I would say a couple of things here. One is just when you're getting started with Agile, working with a new team that has not used it before, just making sure to get the appropriate level of buy-in from your partner teams on using the Agile approach. Mm. So What I mean by that is, yeah, connecting with our cross-functional partners to share the why behind Agile and reinforce the value that it can add to your project work. It's key benefit. So it can feel like a significant departure from previous ways of working. Again, if this is a team that has not used it before. So this is very important. Whether it is discussing the cadence of meetings, what feels right in terms of how often you're meeting and the time asks for your partner teams, 
finding the most efficiency. So a good balance between when are we meeting live as an agile team? When are we making progress asynchronously? And then finally, bringing your partners in along the way with you on shaping how you're going to approach and leverage Agile. Another piece is just how you're organizing the tasks. We call them stories in Agile. That's the work that you want to accomplish each sprint. So let me just make sure I'm understanding all of that correctly. It's not just, hey, we're going to adopt Agile and work this way with customer experience, but then really getting specific about what that means. As, as you said, that the meeting cadence, the style of meeting. Potentially how long the sprints will be? Is that part of that upfront? Yep, absolutely. Great. You mentioned selecting stories that would be the work would be part of the work that you would do. I'm curious to hear first maybe how do you brainstorm stories that should be part of the work? And then how do you prioritize them? Which ones of those many stories will be part of the next sprint? Yeah. Absolutely. Great question. So in terms of brainstorming the stories themselves, right, we want to start with two layers of goals. First being the overall goals of the project. What have you come up with as what's the opportunity space that you're working in, right? What is the quote unquote problem that you are aiming to solve as a cross-functional team? From there, you can develop sprint goals as your next step. So for instance, in a early sprint in a project, an example may be developing an understanding of current customer needs and pain points. Let's say that's one of your sprint goals. From there, you can approach brainstorming stories as thinking of what do we need to get to our sprint goals? So how mm. can we break it down into small, meaningful parts that will allow us to make progress toward that? An example, you know, going along with the example that I just shared, it could be are you going to conduct member customer interviews as a piece of that? If you, one of your sprint goals is developing an understanding of your customer's key pain points, yeah, you will then um, go through an ideation process cross-functionally to move forward with that. Will you start by interviewing customers and have that outreach be a story in your current sprint? From there, once you brainstorm a backlog of stories, so those tasks that you'd like to accomplish, you can work to prioritize them. Looking at your sprint goals, what will be feasible and drive the most impact in a sprint and what timing wise works when you meet for a sprint planning session, you can talk through, you know, realistically, we have, let's say, three weeks, you time box your sprint. What is doable to to fit mm. into a three week period and how much right. time will be required? So, yeah, that's a good one. I think it comes from Daniel Kahneman, but the planning fallacy where you you completely overestimate your ability to get an amount of work done in a, in a specific period of time. And I've even heard people say, you know, you can take your estimate, double it, and then you're probably still underestimating how long it's going to take. So I wonder if that held true for you all in doing your work. And then how did you counter that? How did you work against that a little bit? Yep. Trial and error, Sam. Trial and error. So as a team, when we did our very, very first Agile sprint, I would say we actually ended up a little bit light in terms of like we actually went the opposite way. We were a little bit more conservative in terms of thinking of what we could do in our, in our first sprint. I think part of this was we were just getting started. We wanted to make sure we weren't over promising and under delivering yeah. in our first sprint, but it ended up feeling really light. 
our second sprint, we did exactly what you just described, where we really packed a lot of work into our three-week time box sprint. So to answer your question, I think that a, a key piece of, of getting that right is going to be a little bit of experimenting. That's where using planning poker and estimating timing and then like tracking that over time, it can give you a better sense of how much work you can fit in given the size of your team into your... I mean, that's classic human nature, but you all started off with an amazing approach. You went real conservative and tried to keep it simple and doable for the first sprint. Mission accomplished. So now let's load up on the second sprint. Listeners, follow Lara's and her team's approach from the first sprint, which is let's keep this manageable and doable and deliver what we say we're going to deliver, meet expectations. And then we can gradually increase the amount of workload in the sprint, or we can continue to deliver manageable workloads for sprints over time. But you brought up a term, planning poker. Tell us about planning poker, because I had not heard of this before you introduced it to me earlier this year. Yeah, absolutely. So planning poker is used to estimate timing in sprint planning, right? So when you're meeting as a team at the beginning of a sprint to discuss the stories that are going to be a part of your sprint. It is used to estimate timing. It's a fun, engaging, and really efficient way to align as a team on how long will this given story take? For example, how long will it take our team to conduct customer interviews? So to elaborate a little bit more on what that is, Planning Poker uses the Fibonacci sequence. That's the pattern of numbers that is found by adding up the two previous. So it's it shows exponential growth. It's so it, goes, it would go one one, two, three, five, and so on, eight, I think. Yes. Yeah, right. Okay. Yep. That's some nice mental math right there. <laughs> Once we get up into well, I stopped at eight, as you could tell, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's used in Agile to estimate timing because, as I mentioned, it's exponential. So it's it grows at an increasing rate. The reason for that is, you know, the shorter the time span, the more certainty. So the difference between me saying this effort will take me one day versus two days is a bit more precise. Whereas right. when you get into longer tasks, they're more complex, time estimates are less precise, and it can be more difficult to, as I mentioned before, align on how long it will take. Yeah. So the point there is just to force your hand when estimating those larger, more complex tasks, instead of wasting time in your sprint then and getting pickier about minor differences. I think it's really hard for humans to think in exponential terms so to force it by using the Fibonacci sequence is fantastic because the outsprint that are much less knowable, probably much more likely to be shifted as the work shifts. And to estimate them precisely, as you were just saying, is foolish. So you might as well just give them these huge estimates and get more precise as you get closer, mm -hmm. uh, which makes a lot of sense to me. Yes. And I know I mentioned this briefly, the Fibonacci sequence in a more traditional Agile approach versus how we've adapted it to ah. our CX team's needs is to use it to estimate effort. We've used it as an estimate of timing in days for how long we estimate our team will take to accomplish a given story. Got it. Thank you for clarifying that. So you've got the Fibonacci sequence in the planning poker and then in the planning poker exercise itself, and listeners, I've linked to both of these in the show notes, so you can dive deeper into these techniques if you like. But how does that, how do you actually use it in the planning poker technique? Yep. So the Fibonacci sequence comes into play in planning poker 
in that the cards are labeled with those different Fibonacci numbers, right? So you'll have those, the zero card under a day, one, two, three, five, eight, 13, so on and so forth. And so when you're doing your planning poker exercise, everyone, if you're doing a remote planning session, can pull up the link. The Scrum Master can screen share and say, all right, everyone, go ahead. We are looking at our story on customer interviews, seeing the criteria that we need to meet by the end of this sprint and the tasks we need to work through in order to get this goal accomplished. (laughs) Everyone, please go ahead and click your timing estimate. All of the cards Mm. show up. So for instance, Sam, let's say that you think customer interviews will take 13 days to accomplish maybe I'm feeling ambitious and I think eight days from start to finish, all of the numbers will show up. The planning poker tool will show an average as well as all of the individual inputs. And then the team will discuss, right? Like, Sam, why do you think 13 days? What Mm. do you think the kind of holding, the factor holding back our team will be? Why am I feeling like it'll only take eight days? And the goal is to quickly align then on, are we going to go with eight? Are we going to go with 13 and move forward efficiently from there? That's great. I love that it's it's not to say, okay, let's average this, but rather let's have this be a conversation. Right. And now yeah. we can surface assumptions. Why are you optimistic that it could be eight? Why am I pessimistic that it would be 13? We can talk that out and, and probably surface something that you weren't considering that's going to take longer or something I didn't know about that can make it go faster, right? I think that's such an important part of the process. It's not just, oh, we're pulling numbers out of the air. No, let's actually um, discuss the underlying assumptions that went into the numbers the different team members chose. I think that's a really important part of the process. Yes, and I'd love to quickly share an, an example of when this came to life for our team and a positive example of when planning poker Great. helped us work out timing. <laughs> we were working with a cross-functional group actually on the, the example story I mentioned, so planning for customer interviews. And some members of our team were thinking closer to a three-week span of time to, you know, get from start to finish there. And due to the fact that we had our our cross-functional group on the call, you know, one of our teammates actually raised her hand, mentioned, I actually am able to pull this data in just a couple of days. Oh, wow. Um, with the outreach, we were able to really decrease our timing estimate as a group. But if we had never met for a planning poker or planning session and talked that through lies, we might not have been able to get to that as quickly. Yeah. Oh, that's a great example. Okay. So now, you know, you've done the interview outreach. Maybe that was one sprint. You've conducted the interviews. That was another sprint. But in between, you do sprint retros, right? At the end of each sprint, you review how it went. And I'm really intrigued because you've got a a visual and a mirror board that you've shared with me and my team that includes pirates and sweet fruits and messages in a bottle. There's there's a whole sort of shipwreck theme going on here. So tell us what is going on with those elements in the way you do retros. And tell us too about the value of doing a retro at the end of each sprint. Absolutely. And I would like to take a moment to share, I cannot take credit for that creative, fun Miro board. (laughs) Thanks to the Miro community, we were able to pull that in and use it for our own sprint retros. So Big fan of that tool. (laughs) But to just share a little bit more on the sprint retros and why it's important. It's a great time to just pause as a team and celebrate the progress that you've made. I'll share a little more. A sprint review is also a great time to do that, right? Where you're sharing with your broader group of stakeholders. Here's what we've accomplished over the past three weeks. Mm. The sprint retro is a time to pause, celebrate as a team, 
and say, you know, here's what went well. And now in our classic agile fashion, we want to iterate our approach. It's a little bit like meta, but we want to iterate on our approach to approaching our project work, right? (laughs) We want to keep improving how we work as a team going forward. So I know, Sam, you mentioned this pirate theme. Listeners, there is a great Miro template that we've leveraged in our project work for Sprint Retros. It includes pirates, sweet fruits, messages in a bottle, and hidden treasure. And what these are, are essentially rosebuds and thorns. What's been going well in our sprint? What have we, what have we learned for the future that we could improve on? What are some, you know, shout outs that we can give to different members of our team who have done excellent work in the previous sprint? Um, and then what are some action points that we can take forward? immediately. So let's say we're starting our new sprint tomorrow. What can we do starting tomorrow to start addressing some of the opportunities that we've uncovered to improve going forward? Yeah, uh, I love the the messages in a bottle. I had never seen that before. Let's be very explicit. What are the things that we want to start doing tomorrow? And the beauty of Agile is in the next sprint, you have this opportunity to start fresh and, as you said, iterate your approach and make changes. And the message in a bottle is Instead of it having to float across the ocean, you found it on the beach already, and now you're ready to apply it instantly in the next sprint. I just love how quickly you can take action with that and and being able to pay it forward to yourself in a way. But this has been fantastic. You've shared so much detail about what what it looks like to do a good job of adopting Agile in a customer experience work environment and adopt and iterate and, and, and adapt it to our needs as customer experience professionals. So Listeners, I think that's a really good lesson from from Laura's experience and from what she shared here is you should take it and you should use it and you should understand why it works, but also you should know that it has to be a little bit different in customer experience land than it is for product or software development. And Laura has has alluded to some resources, so I've included the template for the the pirate and shipwreck themed sprint retro. I've included as well the poker planner and the Fibonacci sequence tool so you can use those. And then also we have a, a one-pager of Agile ceremonies. And, and so I've included a version of that genericized so it doesn't include any of the LinkedIn information. Laura, anything else you'd add to close out our, our little Adopting Agile 101 lesson here for CX professionals? I would just say, I know I mentioned several standard pieces of Agile, right? You have your ceremonies, you have timing estimates, you have Fibonacci sequence, but just don't be afraid to get creative with it start somewhere and you can always, as I mentioned before, iterate on your approach and learn from other people who have used Agile methodology as you go. So just don't be afraid to get started with it. And yeah, it can be a lot of fun. And in a podcast called CX Patterns, it's great to talk about the Fibonacci sequence and and its use here. So (laughs) I appreciate that tie into the the name of the podcast. Laura, thanks so much. Appreciate having you on. And listeners, we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks with another CX Pattern. As you heard Laura say, the rituals, milestones, and rigor of Agile have been extremely valuable to our experienced design team at LinkedIn and other organizations as well. We are able to move faster and deliver value for our customers and our stakeholders sooner. We are able to adjust more quickly to changing customer needs and expectations and to shifting business priorities. We are able to apply learnings from our work much more quickly. Agile compels us to communicate more with each other as a team, also with key stakeholders and partners. 
That's been another valuable aspect of adopting it. And another thing that I love about the way that Agile works is that the community of practitioners shares their knowledge, their tools, their templates, their adaptations. This has enabled us to adopt it more quickly using templates we found in Miro, our tool of choice for customer journey mapping. And it has allowed new members of our team to read up on the Agile methodology and adopt it more quickly themselves. What I am saying here is that you can benefit from this generous community of practice too. You will have support and resources to adopt Agile for customer experience if you haven't done so already. And if you are using Agile, I would love to hear from you in the comments of the newsletter that accompanies this episode. Tell us how it's worked for you or where you've struggled and any adaptations you've made that have helped you make it work for experience design projects. That's all for now. Thanks for listening to the CX Patterns Podcast. If you follow me on LinkedIn, you'll see the newsletter that accompanies each podcast episode and contains all of the details and links that support the information shared during this episode. The newsletter is also a great way to share this episode with someone else. Do you have feedback? This is a podcast about customer experience, so you know I'd love to hear from you. Connect with me on LinkedIn and share your questions, comments, and thoughts. If you want to support the podcast, share it with someone, rate it, review it, all the usual stuff. Thanks to my colleague, Emily Tolmer, for creating the CX Patterns logo, and to my friends, Moon Island, for the music. That's all for now. I'll be back in two weeks with another customer experience pattern.